Hey and welcome to 20 Minute Fitness, your favorite podcast for health and fitness science and technology. Our podcast is powered by ShapeScale, the 3D body tracker that sees the change your eyes cannot. Currently in beta testing and shipping towards the end of the year. More on ShapeScale.com. I'm your host, Martin Kessler, and today's guest has been a vigorous proponent within the ancestral health community for the past few years. Abel James is the host of the Fat Burning Man podcast and author of the book, titled The Wild Diet. In our talk, we will cover his very own transformation story and how he divorced himself of the conventional wisdom of what's considered healthy after discovering that everything he knew about health and fitness had been completely wrong. Abel doesn't sit at the extreme ends of the community, however. And I believe he will find his approach to be quite sensible and balanced, actually. We touch upon nutrition, fasting, discipline, and also some tracking through variables and CGM devices. Abel is an awesome and super likable character, and I hope you will find his story and the advice he shares as inspiring as I have. Hey, Abel, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. And uh, I mean, like, it's, it's also an honor on my side because you have like a successful podcast yourself and, you know, like you've gone like through your own transformation story. But before going into that, like, can you give our listeners a brief background about yourself? What is it that you do besides podcasting, of course? Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I come from the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire and I got sick young as an infant. Uh, they pumped me full of all sorts of drugs from Western medicine. And so I became allergic to almost every single one of them, which uh, put my mother in a precarious position who was a nurse at the time. And she decided to go back to school, learn how to use uh, herbs and in clinical medicine in, in Western practice. And, and so long story short, instead of <laughs> you know, going to Western medicine for the majority of my life, I'd go to my mom and she'd come back with these these tinctures and these bombs and teas and, and herbs and even food sometimes. And so being type A and wanting to be better than that at some point, I, I got a good job after college to pay off my loans. And for the first time in my life, I actually had excellent right. health insurance and I really wanted to take advantage. I'm just like, wait a second, I can go in every two weeks and look at the numbers from my blood and urine. Let's do it. That sounds good. <laughs> and so the only problem was that after about like 18 months of doing that, you know, trying to prevent a family history of high blood pressure, high triglycerides, thyroid problems, and, and all of these other various things. After about 18 months of following my, my doctor's advice, I had gained about 30 pounds or I was about 30 pounds overweight. I developed most of the problems that we were trying to prevent, including thyroid problems, high triglycerides. And I was, I was basically trying harder than ever. I was still running. 20, 30 miles a week, uh, but I was eating lots of whole grains on purpose, you know, trying to eat low fat, low cholesterol uh, and, and drink orange juice, you know, for, for <laughs> vitamins and, and all of this other advice that was coming from not just the doctor, but also running magazines and other things where I was kind of drinking the Kool-Aid. So after hitting rock bottom hard, uh, basically, I lost everything in an apartment fire about 12 years ago now. And, and so all I had was... <laughs> was my body and the clothes that I was wearing. And I, I just looked, I had always been athletic. I loved playing sports, all sorts of different kinds, but mostly running. And, and I was like fat for the first time in my life. I realized it though. That was the thing that really, what was the like, like of a certain like, aha moment? Like, I mean, most of the time, yeah. like you go through like that slow creep, right? Like where you don't realize you're getting fat, but then suddenly there's an aha moment and you know, 
realize, wow, who am I? Exactly. And, and I wasn't like, that was the thing. I wasn't more overweight looking side to side to like my coworkers and other people who were my age, you know, post-college. A lot of people in their 20s, you know, have 20 or 30 extra pounds by then. Yep. And that's pretty normalized. But what I didn't realize is how, I don't want to say easy, but like how, how simple the process was and straightforward the process was for reversing that. So once I realized that I had been following the wrong advice so hard. But, but how, how did you realize that you were following the you know, like the wrong advice, because I mean, it is quite mainstream, you know, like that, that type of advice and it's been around everywhere and yeah. it's not easy like to, to realize, okay, this is not working. Right. Right. Well, with everything else in my life felt like it was out of control. Right. And so it was like, it, it took that for me anyway. And for a lot of people, it takes a, a significant diagnosis that's, you know, life altering to get there sometimes. Yeah. So I'm fortunate that it was more like life circumstances. But for me, that was the thing that made me ricochet hard against, okay, maybe there is something to this alternative health and combining that with what we know about physiology and, and sports. But basically I, I started to be willing to not be afraid of fat anymore. It that was that was largely my problem being afraid of protein, you know, in the form of red meat and other forms. But but I had inadvertently turned down my protein too much, I think, and and I was suffering for it. But anyway, so <laughs> the half dozen different prescription medications also that I had been issued over the course of that time also that was something where I'm just like, eh, I don't know. I'm I've tried this way really hard doesn't seem like it's working out. Let's try some alternatives. And that's when I really got into intermittent fasting and, uh, you know, starting with like a, a 16 hour fast to eight hour eating window ish and felt so much better. And, and once I reversed the process of, of, you know, the weight gain and kind of the, the inflammation, my fat face. And uh, I also had acid reflux and, and once again, like problems regulating my, my body temperature. And so over the course of only a few months, really, I had reversed that, gotten down to single digit body fat and felt so much better by following something that was so much more enjoyable. And I wasn't, I felt like I wasn't fighting my body so hard right. to do that. And, and that was really important. So important to me that it made me mad enough to start up a website <laughs> and eventually write a book and start up a podcast because I felt like people just needed to know and they, and they didn't. Yeah. And uh, was it just fasting or did you change anything else in your life? I would say another big piece of it is the strategic partitioning of macronutrients, especially post-workout. So instead of looking at daily calories or macros and trying to hit those, looking at more of a, a weekly or even monthly schedule or a seasonal schedule uh, that's that's more based on training, I think is important. Even for people who aren't, who don't see themselves as athletes, you know, there's this thing where, and I agree with this to a degree, that if you want to lose fat or maintain a good body composition, nutrition is more important than exercise. But it was really through combining those things in the right way and strategically that allowed me to basically have a lifestyle that that I've enjoyed for more than like basically a decade now where I can indulge in the foods that I, I really enjoy. We cook most of them ourselves, whole unprocessed food for the most part. And uh, and, and by indulging sometimes and cycling calories and, and macronutri macronutrients, you can feel great and 
get by with eating less, which I think is a win, developing a more uh, efficient metabolism in mitochondria, it takes time. But if you put in the work, then it's really incredible the differences uh, that you'll feel and also what you're capable of. Like even for me going out, I love going for hikes. We live in Colorado up at 8,000 feet by a bunch of trails and I just love going out and not having to bring any food, even if I'm going for five or 10 miles, is something that I never would have been able to do. But that, that would have been inconsistent conceivable to my younger self in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, I think there have been interventional studies that have been attesting that, you know, like as soon as you stop eating processed food, you automatically already start to eat less calories while maintaining the same level of satiety, which 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 is really an easy change, right? Because like the best way to lose weight or fat, because that's really what everyone wants to, is by, by not, you know, having like to starve yourself, but by actually following right. a healthy diet and perhaps by going through a, a calorie deficit through exercise, which makes it definitely a bit more attainable, I would say, than than just going through a to a deficit like through through nutrition alone, which can be quite hard. Yeah, it, and so there are different ways to get there for everybody, but you know, it's hard to beat one that's free. Yeah, <laughs> that's just kind of there whenever you want it in in the form of intermittent fasting, and it it's not the answer, and certainly not for everyone. But I think it is a powerful tool for for almost everyone, at least on a seasonal or cyclical basis. Doing that, developing the skill metabolically that it that it takes to go a few hours or even half a day or maybe even a whole day without food is something that historically humans would have would have done in the wild that's definitely something that animals do and you you don't see obesity in the wild for multiple reasons and things like that except when it's seasonal right i mean like look yeah. at the bears right like they they have like all the you know sources of food available during the summer but they know they have to eat more because, it, you know, they're going to have to go to rest during the winter and they're not going to have as much, you know, food sources available then. Yeah. And they're also doing that. Well, it depends on how sentient you think animals are, you know, that's, <laughs> that's debatable or whatever. But that doesn't even matter. They're intuitively every right. year. And, and historically, that, that that's how it would have been for us as well. Right. Like we wouldn't have yes. had as much food available during winters compared to summers. Now everything has changed in our industrial society where food is readily available at every corner. Yeah. And, and we're primed to, to go after food because our body wants to, you know, put on that excess fat. So we have it stored for those hard times, which do not really exist anymore, unfortunately. Or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, the, the bear like sleeps and doesn't eat for months though after that. Yeah. And basically just have this smorgasbord 24-7 all the time, which is mentally taxing. It takes a lot of willpower to not indulge in that. That's one one of the reasons I think the off switch for eating, which is essentially, you know, compressing your, your eating window is so effective because instead of having to use your willpower and be like, should I eat this apple starting at nine o'clock or, or starting at 7 a.m. or 5 a.m. or whatever it is, or should I not? Should I have some prunes? Is that too much sugar? Should I get my glycogen going? You know, where's my insulin at? And just all day long. That's one thing that I'm really happy happy to have escaped. <laughs> and, uh, and also just, you know, the longer that, that I've done this and my wife and, and, and lots of people who I've coached in, in our community, the easier it becomes to eat intuitively like that bear does, you know, he, yeah. he wants to fatten up sometimes. And I definitely, I'll go up and down five or 10 pounds throughout the year. And sometimes I really feel like eating more and other times I really don't. I feel like eating for weeks on end sometimes. Uh, same thing with my wife. And it's not always predictable. It's it's based on life circumstances, stress, and 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 just lifestyle, when you want to take vacations, your your work schedule, all that. And I think it's really important to develop that skill to be able to go up or down 
5, 10, maybe even 15 pounds and develop the confidence in knowing that that you can take a few weeks or a few months of cleaning right. it up and then getting back there. And once you have the confidence to do that, that becomes a much more, uh, there's more peace of mind in that lifestyle. Yeah, and I guess depending on what types of sports you're into, there's also something that comes with seasonality with it, right? Because you're more likely to right. do any sorts of outdoorsy kind of sports unless you're really into skiing and snowboarding, of course, doing the, during the summer than winter, right? So you're automatically already burning more calories during summertime than during winter. But when it, when it comes to intermittent fasting, like how do you go about it? Because like you said, like naturally, there could be periods where you go for days without food, or sometimes you would have maybe food every single day, and maybe you only would have like a 12, 14 hour fast, you know, like a more like circadian kind of fast because it would be right. highly unnatural to eat food when it's pitch black outside. Right. So one way I like I like to do it is, is generally speaking on the days, I have two workouts a week that are like the bigger workouts. So one of them is strength based where I'll just go for the whole body deadlift squats, right. pushes, pulls and that sort of thing. But all at home, like nothing nothing fancy. And then another one is a, a sprint workout, essentially an interval sprint workout. And so on those days, I tend to be more hungry and I'll eat more. <laughs> and also if I have sure. indulgence, if I have like carbs or sugary things that I want to eat, which I do on a regular basis, and I feel better also long-term when I refeed on that, that's where I'll put them. And, uh, I've been wearing a continuous glucose monitor, a, a CGM, a, a on a few different rounds and kind of tried different ways of approaching this. And I've been just so floored by the difference in my body's response on my rest days or the days where I'm not really physically active compared to the days when I am in the sense that on, yeah, what on, the, have you learned? on the days, let's, let's start with the rest day. So like, even if I eat not too many, you know, a couple of handfuls of these paleo friendly, you know, coconut, uh, tortilla chips, type things, gluten-free tortilla chips, a couple of handfuls of those. And my glucose went basically as high as it, as I've seen food take it. <laughs> but post run, you know, like one of, so my sprint workout will be like five or seven miles or so. And I'll do hill sprints like mm. during that run. So I get back and I'm not hungry immediately, but, but when I am like, I had a, one of those giant things of coconut water. So like 15 or 18 grams of straight up sugar right there. And then I had like two slices of toast, I think some dry fruit and maybe a couple of things of licorice or it's something else just I'm just like how how am I going to do with all of this glucose this starch and my my glucose barely budged budged on that which which just amazed me because if you compare that to the small amount of tortilla chips or even white rice or for some people sweet potato or banana on the days that you don't work at you're a different person metabolically on different days so i think that's a really important thing for people to recognize looking at the different cycles of that going with it and so how do you start with intermittent fasting i think the easiest thing for most people to do is just push out breakfast if it's to you know if you normally eat it uh five, six or seven AM, push it out a couple of hours at the beginning, see how you feel. It'll feel weird probably. If not on the first day, right. then by day three three, you're like, I don't know, I, I do feel hungry today. And that's fine. Like you don't have to do this every single day, but but basically you want to slowly over time, a few times a week, develop this skill to push out breakfast. And and for my wife, she prefers to eat earlier on most days, usually around noon, sometimes even earlier than that. Whereas I the longer I do this and I've been fasting intermittently for almost a decade now. The longer I do it, the closer I get to the one meal a day type thing. But it also depends on the, the 
demands of your life. Like I'm recording uh, 10 or 12 of these interviews over the course of two days. And yesterday I fasted until 5.30 p.m. or something like that. And I was gassed and I went to bed early. And so today, you know, thankfully I'd scheduled in in the middle of the day. I I kind of anticipated this, like I'm going to eat. And and my wife, like, thankfully is just wonderful about this and gets ahead of it and, and helps to feed me when I need it. And so I ate early for me, which is like one or 1.30 today. And it was it was just like a small lunch of a combination of, of macros, but, you know, fairly high in protein. And that and now I have, you know, a few more interviews today. And I felt like if I kept pushing it too much, I know what happens there. And and you have to a few times go and find what what your edge is. I think to find what too much is experience that be like, OK, honestly, this was too how, much. How do you know what's like too much? Like once you get into like keto flu and like you have this massive well, headache and you can't function anymore. I don't think it needs. Yeah, I don't think it needs to be that hard for most people. If you're managing your hydration and your electrolytes and then your your food needs to your against your stress against you like for me even though i'm not using that much physical energy on on interview days it's it's you know how right. how hard it is and how much work it takes and your brain is very hungry and and so it's using up nutrients all day and it's it's especially using up glycogen and it can run on fat too but like after a while you do reach a point where you feel a different type of hunger than the kind when you're addicted to carbs, you know, when it, like like I was when I had to eat every couple of hours or so. It's a different type of hunger and you're just kind of exhausted. Like you feel like you need energy yeah. more than you need food. Is the Have you ever I done like a multi-day water fast? Because that, that's what I was experiencing when I was trying to do like a five-day water fast. And, and that, that's brutal, you know, like especially, right. especially I would say the first two days. I, I mean, like I'm used to like fasting 18.6 or sometimes I'm yeah. like yeah, yeah. OMAD 22.2 uh, or 23.1. But as soon as I go like, I don't know, like 36 hours, that's when it starts getting quite brutal for, for at least, you know, like a day or so. And then yeah. like my body's like in this full starvation mode where, where <laughs> right. it, it's okay for like, a, you know, a couple of days, but at some point it just gets you back like, hey, there's something really going back and bad yeah. going on and, and, and your metabolism shuts down. And, and that, that can be quite a brutal experience as well when, when your metabolism completely shuts down for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, there's a tendency for people to compare themselves to the wrong person as as far as that goes. So it's like Wim Hof. A lot of people are probably familiar with him, like this crazy mountain man who, can, you know, he's setting Guinness World Records for breath holding and running up mountains naked and all this amazing stuff. And he has been training at an advanced level for for decades. Right. And And so for people who are doing extended fasts, I think that it benefits you to train up to that if if that's something you want to do. For me, the max I've done is about three days and I did drink water, especially at elevation with it being really dry. I, I'm, I'm really careful about that. But, you know, there is, you reach a point where it's no longer beneficial and it's just super stressful, kind of like with working out. If you if you go and you work out and you thrash yourself every day, you're not going to get better. You're just going to get hurt. And so there's that fine line and uh, and it does move like your body adapts. Right. It's, so it's going to get easier to push things out. And also an, a really important skill, I think, is learning that hunger comes and then often it goes. But yeah. people don't wait yeah. for that part where it actually does go away because it, it'll take 20 minutes, maybe even an hour. But that that cycle of hormones, you start to get used to that and realize, OK, I could eat now, but 
you know, I'm not going to do that today because I don't feel like I totally need whatever's around right now or I don't feel like I need to eat and then deal with kind of digesting it for the rest of the day and, and, and losing energy, just getting pulled down to your stomach. <laughs> and so there, there are always decisions that you can make, but learning that hunger comes and goes and then it's up to you to make the decision when you want to eat and have, it allows you to have very high standards. Yeah for what you eat when you eat it, if you do it the right way. But the, the way that you know you're doing it wrong is if you push it so hard that you're desperate for food, then you'll eat anything, you eat the wrong foods. That's not the right way to do it. Yeah, and then why, why do you fast? Like, is it for longevity or is it for, you know, fat burn? I think it's a combination, you know? It's, it's really convenient from a, a lifestyle perspective. You're cooking, cleaning, preparing food less, thinking about food less. I think metabolically, <laughs> certainly looking around we like most of us eat too much i just had uh mark sisson on my podcast and, and he says you know a lot of people are eating too much most people are eating too much and and gaining weight and the, the other yeah. ones are eating too much and getting away with it <laughs> and that's i think a, a, just a great way of putting it where yeah maybe we could eat more than that but you don't want to be running hot you know if you if the body is like a machine which is it's not Totally. But, you know, if you're a car, you don't want to be redlining the whole time. You don't want to be like having all of this, all of these nutrients and all of these calories coming in that your body has to deal with because it is a burden on the system eventually. And we only have so much time, you know, like our, our telomeres are only so long. We only have so many cells. So when you have this excess amount of nutrients and, and, and calories always more calories than nutrients usually. But when you have this excess that your body gets used to, your cells are always dividing, which, you know, shortens your lifespan just a tiny, tiny bit as opposed to under eating when your body kind of goes and, and scrubs, cleans up and repairs broken cells and, and, and broken parts of your metabolism as opposed to dividing. And so exercising both sides of that equation, I think is really important because some people on the longevity side say, all right, we have to keep every single hormone involved in growth down forever as much as possible and eat almost as little protein as we can. Oh, and as few calories as we can. And so it's, I don't know if, if I get older, I don't want to be frail and falling apart, you know, and, and being at risk of, of breaking myself if I fell down. I would I would much rather, even if I lived for fewer years, <laughs> I would rather, you know, live a long, healthy life and die fast. And so that that's what you see in nature, generally speaking, as well. You see, and rarely do you see very sick animals just kind of having 20 years where they're, you know, yeah, it would probably be taken out by a predator at some point. Yeah. Or, or, or something else, you know, nature kind of has a, it's not always pretty, but it has a way of dealing with that. And we have normalized, you know, basically making a third of our lives. Um, I don't want to say miserable, but not, not what humans are meant to be in the later stages of their life, where in other countries that I visited, especially third world countries, a lot of people in their seventies and even eighties are, are running up mountains still. They're carrying water. They're doing actual work and, and pulling it off and aging really well because of that. And, and that's what I would choose. And I think one thing that you, that you do find is most of those cultures do have some priority for protein as, as almost an essential nutrient. Yeah. Alrighty, let's take a quick break to talk about fasting and prolon. Are you feeling sluggish, weighed down, or find yourself mindlessly eating and in need of new healthy habits? Well, the groundbreaking five-day prolon fasting mimicking diet is so much more than a diet. It's a whole new way of approaching nutrition and life 
through fasting. I believe fasting is an excellent way to restrict calories, lose weight, and also live longer. Prolon triggers your body's natural rejuvenation process from within. You feel lighter, improve your energy levels and mental clarity, lose weight and belly fat, and reduce your food cravings. And when you do multiple consecutive rounds of Prolon, you rejuvenate your cells, which supports healthy aging. It's the only nutrition program in the world that mimics a fast. What I personally enjoyed about Prolon is that you get prepackaged meal kits for each day, which makes the whole experience super convenient. Doing a 24 plus hour fast without any food can be extremely tiring and hard. But with Prolon, you won't need to starve yourself. And what's even better is that it really works. The tasty, specially designed, gluten-free, plant-based food keeps you in a continuous fasting state. Over 20 years in the making and developed by the prestigious University of Southern California Longevity Institute and the National Institutes of Health, it's redefined what fasting means. You eat, your body fasts. Ready, set, rejuvenate with Prolon. For more info, go to prolonfast.com and use my code 20FIT for 20% off your first order. That's prolonfast.com, code 20FIT, 20FIT, for 20% off your first order. On to the show. And then that actually reminds me, I was reading like an interesting opinion piece by Andrew Steele, um, who, who just recently came out with a book on longevity. Uh, it's called Ageless, the new science of getting older without getting old. And he was really making exactly that point, right? Like right now, all our medical science is focused on treating some of the symptoms, right? Like treating Alzheimer's, treating cancer. But what we really should be focusing on is how do we age more gracefully, Right. And right. it's not something we can start doing only like in the final five, 10 years of our lifespan. It's something that you should start doing now throughout the entire life to really ensure that you're aging more gracefully. And, and you know, like maintaining lean mass, that, that's also part of it. Right. Like because Absolutely. you want to be able to to you know, like not break any bones when you when you take a single fall, you want to be able to still move upstairs and, and those kind of things. Yeah. And, and I do believe in the research shows as well that this starts happening much younger than you'd expect, much younger than it may show up in the to the outside world. Like in your 30s, you start losing muscle and hormones. And then it may be invisible for a little while, maybe even 10 years or 20 years. But that decline is hard to get back. It's hard to reverse that decline once it happens in, in bone mass and strength and, and lean mass as well. And so you really want to get a hang of this early if you can before it matters. Because that way, it's it's so much easier to maintain muscle and, and bone than it is to try to rebuild that and get back into shape. That's hard work. And that's why a lot of people just like, ah, okay, I fell off again. What's the point? And they kind of give up and then go back to junk foods or just, you know, uh, less than less than they deserve in a lot of ways, right. because it, it is hard to get there, but it's totally worth it. And there is a roadmap, but it's, uh, it's one of those things where <laughs> a lot of people, they're so quick to dismiss eating protein and working out as being just brainless, vanity-driven <laughs> type deals. And why do you think that is? Well, I, that's, I don't know. That's such an interesting question. I think there are a lot, <laughs> I think there are a lot of reasons for that. But I have noticed a trend that most of the things that matter are ridiculed or tossed aside as being too simple to ever work, like hydrating, right? Like sleeping yeah. well. Like working out, like eating protein. Eating whole foods. I mean, that that's always a big thing, right? Like, I mean, right. if, if you just cut out processed foods out of our diet, it would make a huge, I mean, it, it's almost not fathomable how easy it is actually, but it's also right. kind of hard, right? Because we're surrounded by processed foods. It's highly addictive and it's typically, it's high in carbs. It's, it's, it's low in nutrient density. Yeah. Part of it too is the herd mentality where looking around, you have to be the weird one. If you're not yeah. gaining 
fat every every year you are in the minority and you're going to be the kind of the weirdo health nut in the room um just just for showing up and not carrying you know extra fat around your midsection or whatever and so that's that's bizarre culturally and and rough on relationships for a lot of people who aren't used to being on the other side of that, right? Like once they go over to the health not side. And so uh, it is important, I think, to just embrace it to the degree that you can. And what generally happens is if you can be the example to other people who who, who gets there earlier than, than family or, or you make it stick, even if they razz you at the beginning, you become that good example down the road who could help, you know, add years to people's lives, not just because they're losing fat or they're getting to their ideal body composition. These are kind of like trendy ways or hooks to get people in there, but it really matters so much more than that. And if you want to live a long time, then you do have to eat right and responsibly and you have to move in some way. You have to move weight around, whether it's your own weight or uh, or physically lifting weight. You have to run and practice being being quick, right? Like yeah. Otherwise, your nervous system degrades. I think this is one of the reasons I play music is, is to, I think, find dexterity is so important. And you, you find that people who even shouldn't live a long time do if they keep their fine dexterity later on into life. And, and so there are different ways Ways to kind of maintain long or there are different ways to approach longevity, but I think it's really trying to get sharp and then stay sharp forever. Yeah. <laughs> which Did takes you a lot ever of have work. to deal with that, I don't know, sort of peer pressure of being that health nut in a group of friends or in your family who is kind of maybe the picky eater because all your family members are eating, you know, like a, a diet high in carbs and you're like the guy who's like, I need more protein and, and this is like totally unhealthy. I can't eat that. How do you deal with that? Yeah. Generally speaking, it's just being prepared, planning ahead and making sure that you're already fed or that you don't need to eat so that when you're in that <laughs> position, yeah, people make fun of me for not eating sometimes, but like it's hard to do that and have it be funny <laughs> or have it to like be that funny for too long. It's more just one of those, oh, he's not eating again. Ha ha ha. And then they, you know, proceed to eat all day or, or whatever. And then, no, no, I'm, I'm not going to eat right now. And they get used to that. And, uh, and then it's not that weird anymore. You're just the guy or the gal who just like doesn't eat breakfast sometimes. And it, I don't know, that's fine to stand out and have people make I've been doing this long enough now where I get a kick out of it. But at the beginning, it did. It did. You know, it hurts when it comes from people you care about when there's a tinge of like, I don't know exactly what you mean by that. Is that antagonistic in even yeah. the slightest way? And a lot of times it is. It's like loaded or it's like people are very defensive about their foods, their traditions. And also they feel like often you're judging them. If you're trying to eat your vegetables or you're trying not to eat, you're judging them for eating, which shouldn't really be the case or shouldn't matter to anybody like no one should care about what anyone else is doing that night. I, I think because deep inside they know they're kind of being a little bit less healthy in their life and because you're not you know being unhealthy it makes them feel bad it, it's easier when everybody is around you uh, you know committing unhealthy behaviors I think because you have that that hurt mentality right it's still cool to smoke cigarettes right like it's still you see the cool characters and the bad guys in movies like smoking cigarettes for the same reason because it's like it's cool to not care it's cool to just eat the cake but still look like Brad Pitt. And that's just not how it works, right? Like yeah. <laughs> you can eat the cake sometimes, but like for the most part, you have to choose one or the other as a lifestyle. Anyway, you know, as a lifestyle, if you want to 
achieve great performance and and stay there. And if you want to achieve, uh, you know, your ideal weight, which is much harder than it sounds, especially to stay there, then you've got to do the work and make the right decisions, the small ones every day when most people aren't looking. And that way, so, so sometimes when, <laughs> when they are looking, it can be hilarious because when you are the guy who eat, who doesn't eat, sometimes you eat and the amount that you eat is insane yeah. compared to it. And then it's, and you can have fun with that too. So anyways, there are alternative ways of going about this. And I, I argue that this way is a little bit more fun. Yeah, I, I think there's like the saying where where where, it, where it's like live to eat or eat to live, right? Like, are you just yeah. living so you can be a foodie? And and for some people, that's the way of life, right? Like because yeah. they really enjoy food, and health is maybe not as much a priority to them. But if health is your priority, then maybe you have to make some compromise here and there. Doesn't mean that you can't have cake ever, right? Yeah. I would also argue that that when you practice intermittent fasting and you clean up your diet to avoid ultra processed foods, then your palate actually adjusts and you can you can taste more. You have higher fidelity of taste because you're not always just blasted with all these chemicals and these extreme artificial uh, flavors and and sugars that are coming at you all this and these low quality oils. Once you get away from that, you can smell more. You can you can notice when certain oils are rancid or off and and that's one thing that i've noticed it's just like ooh, that oil I, like i'm not gonna get that you walk into a restaurant you can even tell sometimes and so i you know we are foodies but it's all semantics to some degree like there's junk food foodies and i argue that that's not <laughs> you know it's not the same thing right like having trying to up your sensitivity to something is different than trying to just like man versus food or yeah. whatever it is i, I think it's also food. about like training your, your taste buds right like if your taste buds know nothing but you know highly addictive junk food or sugary foods then you kind of become like this type of like sugar and and, and high high fat addict and and you really crave yeah. your body craves for it and, and to some extent it may not even be craving for it, it maybe I mean, for, for real nutrients, you just don't know, right? Like, because you constantly yeah. feel hungry and you want to eat more. And then this is kind of like the, the stuff that gives you like this great feeling, you know, it's, it's you know, creating that dopamine rush and, and you want to eat more of it. But if you, yeah. you know, withdraw from sugar for, you know, like some time, you actually may find that you're not missing it as much as you used to when you were eating maybe sugary foods every single day. At least that's coming from my experience. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's kind of like alcohol in that way, which I'm on both sides of that. Sometimes I go a long time without it. Uh, sometimes I really enjoy it, but it does have a similar effect where there's kind of a hangover. If you kick it out for a couple of weeks, everything kind of gets better. <laughs> you know, yep. you sleep better. You have better uh, energy throughout the day that's that's more regulated for the most part. So yeah, and also one other just kind of quick tip for people who are listening. A lot of research shows that we continue to eat until our protein needs are met. So if you are larger, then generally speaking, try not to be too afraid of protein and try to eat that first, as opposed to if you're trying to fill up on on carbs or or even foods that are kind of leaning toward the carbon and starch and sugary side, then that tends to just accelerate more hunger and you're getting more sugar and dysregulated blood sugar throughout the day. So hitting that protein really allows yeah. you to for me, eat fewer meals, like breaking my fast, for example, today with bone broth, which is a great source of protein and nutrients. And, and if you're going to eat animals, which most of our community does, eating nose to tail and, and focusing on organ meats and, and broths and traditional foods, I think is really important. So getting those high protein nutrient dense sources in there first allows you to not have to rely on eating all of this junky lasagna or all these right. burritos and sandwiches and all the rest of that stuff. 
in order to try to fill yourself up. Because what your body's usually looking for is nutrients and protein. Yeah. I actually, yeah, 100%. I actually used to believe, you know, like that fiber was going to be the main contributor to satiety. But, you know, I just yeah. realized once I actually start, started being more conscious about what I put into my, my mouth, I realized as soon as I have like, I think like my spot is around 50, 60 grams of fiber. As soon as I go above that, I just get all bloaty and, you know, right. all blocked up, you know, like, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like limit. almost, you know, putting on the brakes on my body because like my, my body's trying to deal with all that fiber, which it's which is really impossible or very hard to digest, right? Yeah. Whereas like protein, the more I have of protein, the, the more full I feel. And, and protein is, is not necessarily as dense in calories as, as say fats, for example, and it's not being metabolized as fast as uh, simple carbohydrates. Yeah. And uh, what, what level of protein are you actually going for? And I know you're not really a believer in, in counting, you know, calories or macros, but uh, do, do you have like any ballpark of like what you're aiming for? Yeah, I would say the ballpark is probably like 75, maybe even 100. And then on the more intense days or big adventure, big run days, something like that, maybe even closer to like a gram per body weight, a pound of body weight, which is I'm around like 170, 175 usually. So, uh, but I, but I don't count. I think it's important to count at some point and so that you can have a good idea of what is in certain foods and have a good understanding, but you don't have to obsess yourself with that mm -hmm. once you, once you kind of understand that. But usually that it's a couple of servings of meat a day, but maybe even more like one, it depends on how you count it. Cause I don't usually count bone broth but that's something that i have yeah. on a regular basis it's more just like sometimes my habits i don't i don't count because i know they're so good for me like hydrating drinking a good solid broth most days of the week are more like lifestyle choices that are weird to people at first thankfully though the more time has gone on there's some great companies doing it the right way where it's much more doable to get a, a, a solid grass-fed broth made the right way traditionally today off the shelf or from the internet than it was five or 10 years ago where you really had to go and get like liver from your local farmer and ask for some bones too and then bring it into your garage because it stinks up the whole kitchen and throw it in the crock pot for hours and hours and hours with vinegar you know it's like the whole thing so it's becoming more achievable and less popular at the same time to be a health nut so, but the encouraging thing is that there are so many other you know young vibrant enthusiastic founders of companies who really believe in what they're doing and I've met so many and and so for you like out there if you're looking for a high quality food grass-fed regenerative regenerative meats or even veggies and different combinations of snack foods that approximate junk foods like you can kind of find it all now for better or worse but it does make it easier from a convenience standpoint even if you just want to sit on your couch and order everything from home you can actually do that now and, and get legit solid foods that will improve your health right so so just for our listeners can, can you give like an example of what like a good fat burning diet would look like like if they're looking to shave off a few pounds intermittent fasting is definitely one part of it and maybe they start off with a circadian fast, maybe go up to 16.8 or 18.6. But what should their diet look like uh, besides the protein intake of, you know, two or three servings of meat? Yeah. So the fiber piece that you spoke about, I think fiber isn't as important as most people think it is, or at least not in the way that most people think it is. But I, I think vegetables in general are kind of getting thrown out with the bathwater now. It's like meat is not the only thing that matters. Having a good combination of, of proteins and veg, I think is extremely important. And the way that that usually you make veg taste good uh, is is by what, what, what do you mean by veg? Like because there's like a whole lot of stuff out there, and some some veggies are even actually more fruits and veggies, right? It's important to differentiate between starches and sugary veggies and and fruits and and all and grains as well and pseudo grains. It's important to differentiate 
differentiate between like the below ground and the above ground varieties. And, t- and the tendency is the below ground tubers, the potatoes and things like that are higher in starches and, and sugars in your bodies. And then then when you go above ground, then you start to get the greens and things like that. Now, there are exceptions like garlic and onions and and those you know, the more like spices, I think, are extremely important to have in your diet. The vinegars, the fermented, you know, veggies and sauerkrauts and things like that to improve your probiotics. Like these are all things that matter and none of them matter the most, really. <laughs> you know, they and, and everyone who comes on a podcast is just, oh, you know, like the gut microbiome matters the most. No, it's brain health. No, it's you know, your fat balance and your DHA and yeah. all this. It's kind of refreshing to hear that because most of the time, you know, what what really works well on social media and that really sells a lot of books is if you have like some polarizing argument, right? Like you have like, right. uh, you know, like something that's like only meat, you're like the carnivore diet or you're like hardcore vegan, like you just have right. plant-based foods in your life and you don't need any animal-based food or you don't even have any leather or nothing of the likes in, in your lifestyle. But very few people make that balance argument that is in between, right? Like to have a little bit of everything because it's kind of it's kind of the boring argument. Exactly, exactly, because it's too boring and simple to ever work in, in people's minds. Like it's too it's too easy, so I'm just not going to do that. Uh, whereas what works online, what's easily monetized, is what's inflammatory and what's clickbait, <laughs> what, yeah. what's extreme, and and so you see both sides of the extremism more popular than ever, and it's a little silly and frustrating to be in the middle for so long but at the same time when you just stand your ground and you know what the principles are of health then it's it's hard to get too frazzled about it because these conversations of extremism have been going on forever more than a century literally the same conversations (laughs) and so you shouldn't let that distract you from showing up and just doing the right thing every day no matter what anyone do you believe there's really like a one-size-fits-all approach or that there's no ways to be made for personalized nutrition where maybe some diets work for some people really well some fasting regimens work for some people some people may not be able to deal with fasting altogether they go with something completely different yeah the whole second half or the second third of your question there spot on where it's not one size fits all even day to day decade to decade year to year like all these things you are going to be changing as well it's a moving target always and we're you know we're fighting new battles every day there are new curveballs from a health standpoint and you need to adapt to those so absolutely i think it's good to have general guidelines like eating whole unprocessed foods basically making sure you have a solid source of traditional fats not manipulated low quality industrial type fats getting a good handle on your protein eating a good balance and variety of foods but like sweet potatoes will be great for some people and terrible for others. Same thing with shrimp and chicken and beef and all the rest of it. So it's it's really important to hone in on. And, and how do you know really what's working for you and what isn't? Uh, there are different ways to test, you know, like blood glucose is, is, is one that's becoming more and more accessible for most people, even just from a general health standpoint. Heart rate variability, the way that you sleep, your general movement and the way that you feel. These are things that you can correlate to what you just ate. And if your heart rate spikes or if you're sweating, if your blood sugar spikes, but it shouldn't based on what you just ate, all these can be indicators that something's off. You might be slightly allergic. You might be having some sort of reaction. There are there's IgE and IgG antibody testing, and I did that years ago on a couple of different rounds of that. And there are all sorts of different ways that you can you can see if it's right. But even just like, you know, one, I remember before I did any testing, 
I, I liked green tea and I knew it was good for me, but whenever I drank it, it's like my stomach just felt off and a little rotten and just like a little, something just felt a little off. And sure enough, when I went and got it tested, it was one of the things, green tea. <laughs> it's like all these alternative teas, coffee, totally fine, but green tea, way off the charts. So sometimes it's just following your intuition. It's like, if you feel a little off and you notice, that's, oh, I just drank a diet soda or I just ate a bunch of grapes. Like maybe they don't agree with me. You know, it's like, maybe I'm not digesting popcorn just right. These are all things where it's like as heartbreaking as it could be for your body not to agree with popcorn or something like that. It's really important to know that. And if you care about longevity and health or not having a fat inflamed face or whatever it is, like dropping those things and just swapping them for something else. Like one person has a great response to bananas who I was recently talking to on my podcast, terrible response to sweet potatoes. So it's like no skin off her back to just eat bananas sometimes when she wants that instead of the sweet potatoes. But it's important to know that one of them is not good for her and one of them is yeah at least for yeah. me <laughs> I, I've, I've also done an ige test like a while ago and i was surprised about some of the findings i mean i always knew that you know i wasn't handling dairy quite as well as, as you know i'm not quite lactose intolerant but you know it's definitely making my body work harder but i also learned about some other things like oh yeah vanilla is really bad for me surprise you know, I was trying to substitute oh, my milk with, with almond milk, and it turns out almonds are really, you know, creating a quite a, quite a large immune response in my, in my blood. And, and and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad thing, right? I mean, like, it's perfectly normal that, you know, I, I mean, like some of those seeds, right, they, they do have certain pathogens because they're trying to protect themselves. They don't want to be eaten, right? I mean, it's kind of like the babies of plants. And sure. it, it's kind of normal that your body will have to react to some of it. But I think it gives you an indicator, you know, like what is really something highly reactive to your body because it may be or the thing that creates some of those symptoms, right? Like that is spiking your heart yeah. rate or that is causing, you know, you to be bloated all the time or causing bad sleep. And and I think once you have done a test like that, it, it's helpful like to to just eliminate, you know, like to go through an elimination diet where you eliminate all of those foods for a certain period of time and then slowly reintroduce them one by one back into your diet and then you kind of learn okay this has actually been affecting my body in a negative way yeah i would agree with that yeah i think elimination diets are some of the most powerful tools out there because they're so talk about accessible it's like fasting it's something that you can just choose to do and if you do the work you'll learn something you'll learn a lot probably yeah i I know we're running a bit short on time but are there like any certain like apps or devices that you have found uh, to create a lot of value in your in your own routine? Yeah, well, I've used the whole combination. I think tracking and there are different ways to do it. I've been using the Aura Ring for a couple of years, pretty much daily basis. I've also tried some some straps and watches, but I think looking at your heart rate and looking at your heart rate variability, tracking sleep, tracking body temperature, respiration, and a few other variables and metrics can be just really revealing if you use the data anyway. And for me, what it's allowed me to do largely, and I'll include CGM, but but these are like, you don't need the super expensive or or anyone in particular, you know, like you can measure a lot of these things with cheap devices now. So it's like the amount that you spend doesn't really matter anymore. You can get really great results and really great data sets for, you know, usually a few hundred dollars, maybe even a bit less. But anyway, looking at heart rate variability and heart rate in general, which is something I really paid attention to during my running training days, has been very revealing from a lifetime, a lifestyle perspective, because on the times when I do let loose and I have more sugar than usual, or um, especially later at night, or I have alcohol, especially later at night, (laughs) there's a massive effect 
on my biomarkers of health the next day and maybe even for a few days and I can directly correlate it to how poorly I'm sleeping or how poorly some segment of my sleep, some some element of my sleep quality just isn't up to the standard that it would be if I had avoided that sugar late at night or the booze. Another big insight for me was seeing the difference between drinking I don't know, one to two, maybe even three drinks of alcohol over the course of the night compared to drinking six to eight, which is really easy to do at a big social function or at a long dinner or just if you kind of, you know, keep the wine is flowing that night. But the difference on my heart rate and my heart rate variability, like I'll go from a resting heart rate of 38 or even 36 when I'm not you know, drinking, I've stayed sober for a few days or a few weeks or whatever. <laughs> and it'll pop that baseline up to almost 50, uh, and it, which is scary to me. Right. And your own perception would be the same, like even if you had only like one or two drinks compared to like five or six. I mean, I mean, like the day after. If I only have one or two, then maybe it's at like 40. Maybe it doesn't even budge. Like in some cases, maybe it does even help a little bit with unwinding at the end of the day. As much as like some of the health nuts don't want to admit to that, I think it's important to notice what moderation does compared to just pretending like it doesn't matter because it's really easy once you're drinking especially but even once you're eating sugar and i I correlate those there are definitely parallels it's easy to get carried away and just keep going and just keep going whereas if you are able to moderate then actually Mm. you can still have that in your life and it won't just it won't torpedo your results and in fact it might not even impact them much at all and so it's allowed me to have a bit more fun more often but moderate way more or or indulge way less if that makes sense so i think that's a really important just yeah and and i think time of day is also like a huge impact especially when it comes to totally hiv and how much rem totally up getting i mean if you if you have maybe a, a beer for lunch maybe not as much an issue as if you have you know like three or four glasses of wine at dinner but yeah rounding up uh, for today's conversation like i just kind of want to hear like some some things that you've heard and that you're aware of that that people commonly get wrong when it comes to well nutrition and dieting as, as well as exercising like what, what are some common misconceptions Maybe the I'm not sure that people who aren't that fit realize that most people who are fit have discipline. It's not great genetics usually. It's, you know, solid habits and a solid routine that they're sticking to. Yes, there are exceptions. There are some people who are just eternally skinny or whatever, but not really, not not so much anymore. Like it it probably used to be like that a lot more than it is now. Usually it's discipline and following effective routines. And I guess willpower because you have to learn to say no, right? Like some of your friends, you want to have maybe some alcohol or like some unhealthy meals, like, or you don't want to eat at all, right? Because you're fasting. You have to be able to say, no, I am fasting. Yeah. And actually, you know, for people who want to say no to drinking more, saying no to food is a good start. It's good practice. Like we get out of practice of saying no and it should be okay. That's that's one reason that, that people are attacked for not eating. Because it's like, no, what do you mean? No, you can't say no to food. I'm offering you food. And there are all sorts of cultural implications in that, right? In the gesture too. So, But it is important practice that we all need to, from a business standpoint, from a relationship standpoint, it's really important to stand your ground and say no when it's appropriate to. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Abel James. Thanks so much for having me. This was great. Alrighty, I hope you enjoyed our show with Abel. And if you would like to learn more about him, head over to fatburningman.com and check out his long-standing, highly ranked podcast, The Fat Burning Man Show. If you have been a long-term listener of our show, you probably have noticed some familiar themes that I also ascribe to. If you are looking for good nutrition, 
focus on whole foods, a relative moderate amount of carbohydrates and a good amount of protein, especially if you're looking to lose weight and build muscle. Fasting can be a great way to restrict your dietary calorie intake. And I believe at the very least one should aim for a circadian fast of 14 hours avoiding late evening meals. But if you're really going for longevity, then by all means, you can also go for an OMAD diet where you only really have one meal a day. Um, in today's world, avoiding all of those temptations of highly palatable ultra processed foods, and of course also alcohol and even cannabis, surely isn't an easy feat to accomplish. But doing so, uh, I believe, will most likely set you up to age less and live long and healthy. Thanks again for tuning in to 20 Minute Fitness. We have some exciting changes in the works and I can't really wait to share those with you. Next week, we will continue with our new series about my very own transformation of having lost nearly 40 pounds and halved my body fat. In this series, I'm going to share a bunch of advice and things that I have learned uh, throughout my last 12 months of going through those changes. And hopefully there will be some more tidbits similar to today's format that I can share with you so that you can also go on your own journey and achieve the body and health of your dreams. I'm Martin Kessler and 20 Minute Fitness is mixed by Lila Lasso and produced by Shape in San Francisco. See you next week.